crisis preparedness is part of our DNA, whether it's preparedness month, whether there is a crisis happening like right now with DC and us communicating, it's part of the DNA and those plans that we have built to respond to civil unrest or, or whatever the case may be, are tested, they are brought out, they are updated. You know, you, you can't let them sitting collecting dust. So um, having a program that's active is really important. You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats. From severe weather to a global pandemic, Let's get into the show. Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast, where for just a few minutes of your day, we provide insights and ideas for keeping safe your most valuable asset, your people. I'm your host, Peter Steinfeld, and I'm joined today by Penny Neferis, who is the Director of Business Continuity, Disaster Recovery, and Emergency Response at JetBlue Airways. Penny, thank you so much for being here. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, it's fantastic to have you. You have such a, a deep experience and knowledge in dealing with emergencies, especially with so many lives on the line based on the business line you're in. So I really look forward to our discussion today. And uh, the focus, it's going to be primarily on how organizations can build better crisis plans. But before we begin, can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and your role at JetBlue? Sure. So going back to college, I did study uh, aviation and specialized in aircraft accidents. So I have always had a passion for aviation and crisis response. In fact, one of my internships was with the NTSB and they sent me out to investigate a blimp accident early on in my career. And wow. I was hooked. <laughs> I was hooked ever since then. Um, I was lucky to join JetBlue back in 1999. Um, and yes, that was prior to JetBlue starting. So I was part of the founding uh, team to build the carrier. And it was so exciting um, from getting certified to delivery of our first aircraft, you name it. Um, it, it was a really great time. Uh, currently, I'm number three out of 20,000 employees, which is pretty awesome history. Wow, here. that is incredible. Uh, yeah, it did give me, you know, great opportunity to start with a clean slate, you know, when we started building our, our program. In my current role at JetBlue, um, I lead three different teams. Uh, team number one is emergency response, and that team does all aircraft accident planning from making sure our cities, the smallest one, like in Albuquerque to Lima, Peru to JFK, is ready in the event we had an airplane accident. Um, so that team focuses purely on plane crash planning, making sure our corporate team's ready to go, and our launch team, our go team, is ready to go as well. Um, our team number two, our business continuity and disaster recovery, does everything else. So any other type of disaster that could happen, this team manages that planning efforts and testing. So think about pandemic and weather events and active shooter, our backup centers, our data center planning and testing. Um, so they are uh, extremely busy uh, this past year with the pandemic for sure. And then team number three is our uh, system operation safety team. Uh, they ensure that our op center is complying with regulations and, and, following up with any concerns that maybe some of our crew members, which is our staff, um, have, ensuring we follow our policies. So that team as well is um, heavily engaged. 
uh, all the teams draft crisis plans, they conduct trainings and exercises, they manage our volunteers. We have over 2,000 volunteers in our program. Wow. Um, and we also lead activations. So we do it all. We do the planning, we do the testing, and we do the activations. Um, so it's uh, super uh, exciting in this world. Yeah. <laughs> never, I mean, based on that, my first question is, do you ever get to sleep? <laughs> we do, we do. <laughs> Wow, that's incredible. That is a lot. Um, well, I think this will be an interesting conversation then. Let's jump into it. So JetBlue serves, I mean, millions and millions of people every year across almost 100 different locations. And because of this, your team really has to plan for a crazy amount of scenarios from, I mean, it could be active shooters to severe weather, probably the most common for you, and now COVID-19. So that's got to be overwhelming. How do you break it down? How do you stack rank and prioritize these threats and identify your level of preparation for each one? Sure. So uh, we do have several, several different ways that we'll prioritize. Um, one of the ways I would say that that most of us look at is what's going on in the news and what's happening. And mm. so when you think about um, the fleet grounding of 737 MAX um, may not necessarily be um, something that rose to the top as a concern the year before, but because of what we saw happening in the industry, we made sure we our fleet grounding plan, which we had built already, was updated and refreshed. Um, so a little bit of what's happening in the industry, what's happening on the news, um, but then also we do conduct an annual hazard risk survey that we send out to the directors and above and our crisis management team. Uh, in that survey, we list 40 different crisis events that could happen to the company and allow them to score it by what impact does that have to life, what impact does that have to the business or a facility, and then tell us what you think about how ready we are when it comes to this crisis. Mm. Once we get all those results, we score them in priority order based on what comes back, and then that helps us guide what type of tabletops we should be running the next year, what type of trainings, and also ensuring that our plans have been updated um, for those concerns that rise to the top. So we just completed our survey, no surprise, uh, pandemic was top of the list. Yeah, so. of course. <laughs> do you find like you get pretty good response on that or do you have to cajole people into participating? We probably get about half of our leadership to engage in that. Okay, which is actually pretty good. Most of the time I talk to folks like, man, if I can get 10% of people, there's there's always one eager beaver and then the rest are like, yeah, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so that's fantastic. Well, some of the crises that you respond to cover really large areas. This could be things like 9-11. It was like the world uh, or a monster weather event. Has leading responses to incidents like, like those that are so expansive really changed your approach to emergency management? Sure. So- Going back to 9-11, that was super early in our years. We were less than two years old as a company, a few hundred employees. Um, but we did respond. You know, we were in New York. We were in an industry that was being attacked in a city that was being attacked. Mm. And we all witnessed um, from our headquarters the second plane hitting the wow. tower. So early on, it set the tone. We, we went out to the airport and tried to help with all the stranded customers. Um, but it showed us the level of engagement that we would have in crisis. Like we weren't going to shy away. We weren't going to hide and make pretend it's not happening. We were going to actively engage. And that really set the tone early on. Um, when, when a crisis does happen, we do look at it from three different lenses. What impact is this having to our crew member, our, our staff? What impact is this having to our customers? And what impact is it having to a community? And we try and help in all three of those lenses. Um, 
when I look about the most recent events, when I think about those events, um, most specifically the hurricanes of 2017, yeah. that event went on, you know, for a solid three, four months, uh, especially with Puerto Rico, we had close to 500 of our crew members down there that resided on the island. And so it was a huge impact uh, to the community and to our staff and making sure that we were down there to help. However, our uh, small but mighty team couldn't keep going for that long and really had to learn to count on other teams to really step in and help. Now, our teams are robust, but I think uh, we feel the, we felt in the past the ownership to take it all on our shoulders. And so since then, we really have learned that, you know, a lot of teams can step in and help us out. And um, that's exactly what's going on right now with COVID. That's great. Yeah. It's like uh, all hands on deck when emergencies happen because they're not business as usual. And you got to realize like how much can a small team do versus how much do you need the rest of the company to jump in and help when things get out of control, basically, or or too big to handle for a small group. So that's fantastic. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Well, you mentioned it a second ago, uh, obviously, COVID-19 top of mind for your executive team, all of your people, as well as a lot of the listeners on this show. What would you say are some key factors of your overall business continuity strategy and your emergency prep plans that have, I would say, helped you work through the challenges of COVID-19? Sure. So our business continuity team has developed uh, 20 cross-departmental plans and the Communicable Disease Incident Response Plan, aka Pandemic Plan, um, was written years and years ago. And we've tested the scenario several times during our tabletops that are unannounced. And so folks have come in and talked through it. What we've never thrown into the mix is how extreme it could be and how long it can go on for. But early on, our leadership team, it was not foreign to them. It was not something that we haven't discussed before. But when we saw what was happening in China back in January, we did activate our plan and our pandemic response team and brought that group together and said, okay, let's take a look. What should we be doing? And so right there in the checklist, it says, you know, you need to be purchasing supplies and PPE. And we did it. We did it early on. Now, we didn't have the volume we might have needed, but still, like early on, you saw us being able to get cleaning supplies onto aircraft and and doing some of that stuff because we did activate so early. Um, We led the response from January to about March. And then when we saw this was going to be an ongoing and not something that can get solved in a few days, um, then a lot of other teams stepped in to help because there was so much work that needed to happen. One of the things we did do, even though we're still in the middle of the crisis, we did conduct an after action review, although Mm -hmm. we're still in it and met with 34 different departments. There's so much great work that's been done by all these different teams. We wanted to capture it fresh in their minds and we can get that information and document it. So our plan has been updated. It doubled in size. And what we've learned this past year has been truly incredible. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of hard to do to step back right when you're in the middle of something and say, let's do an after action, even though we're still in the middle of the action and let's make it better. Um, but that's a, that's a fantastic recommendation. Now, you guys, as well as most of the listeners here, have been absolutely consumed with pandemic response and rightly so. But how do you and how can others stay proactive about planning for all other possible threats and not let things escape their attention because they have one huge thing they're dealing with? What do you recommend? Yeah, I think, again, something we've learned uh, from the hurricanes is that when it's going on for a long duration, you need other teams to step in and help out. And you also can't... um, lose sight of other things that are happening, as you mentioned. And so for us, we had some great teams and some teams that didn't have, 
you know, because we're remote, a lot of the trainings weren't happening anymore. And so a lot of those teams came in and stepped in and helped with a lot of the different work that needed to happen for COVID, whether it was, where do you park all your planes because you're not flying as many flights or, you know, um, where are we getting supplies from and how are you handling internal COVID cases and changing the floor plans and workspace and all that type of stuff. Um, So many teams stepped in and helped out for us that also gave us a little breather and served more as like crisis advisors. Um, we were able to ensure that all the civil unrest that took place last year, we were able to make sure our workforce was still okay and that the operation was still okay to operate in those cities that were being impacted or the fires out West or weather events. So we were still able to um, check in on our, our folks. In fact, we sent more well-being alerts out last year than we have ever done in our wow. history. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, how would you say just in general, JetBlue's culture is unique when it comes to planning for emergency situations based on just your experience over the years and looking at other organizations out there? Yeah, I think it goes back to our values. If you walk into a JetBlue building or a training center or anywhere, even in a terminal, you'll see our values are featured all over the place and they're safety, integrity, caring, passion, and fun. But when I think about safety, integrity, you know, that's so important when it comes to response. You can't say you're a caring company and not care for your people. And so it's part of our DNA. Our senior leadership makes it a priority. Um, They participate in all our exercises. Uh, Our CEO and president will do mock press statements during our exercises just to show their engagement. So it really um, stems from, you know, how we built it 21 years ago, 20 years ago um, with our values back then. And it's cascaded through, but really having that senior leadership engagement too um, helps a lot. Well, it comes back to the joke I mentioned at the beginning, which is with all the things you listed you're responsible for, how do you get any sleep? It's because you have the culture of people who step in to assist. You lay out the plan, you give people the guidance, but it's really up to the organization to help through these incidents. People can't expect that just a small team at corporate can take care of everything. So I think that that's absolutely um, a great way to do it. That makes total sense. Well, in a previous episode that I had, I spoke to Bob Arnold, who is the president of DRJ, the Disaster Recovery Journal, um, just about the importance of community in business continuity. And I'm personally pretty passionate about that too, because disasters often extend beyond the borders of any particular organization and lots of people are affected and community becomes very important. So with that in mind, how do you stay on top of current trends and reach beyond your own team and organization to learn from what others are doing in order just to overall develop a stronger crisis plan? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, so incredibly important and I'm just as passionate about it as you are. Um, having those relationships um, early on really, really help you. And so whether it's participating in local, state, federal um, agency, there's calls from FEMA, New York State Emergency Management, the NTSB, the FAA, uh, the airlines as an industry are getting together and talking. Um, MIT has been hosting crisis community calls Harvard has been doing some. And so really staying engaged. It used to be, you know, we would go to conferences and either we would speak or we would attend and we would learn and we would meet folks and have dinner or lunch with different people. Um, 
But even those relationships that have been established in the past, we're still connecting with those folks to learn what they're doing and hearing from the Target and the Walmarts of the world and saying, you know, well, how are you guys addressing this? Um, And also uh, the carriers have been meeting weekly just to share about like, well, how are you dealing with this part? You know, and and sharing there's there's no competition when it comes to a crisis. You know, we were all in it together. So it's it's so incredibly important. And we have to invest time in developing those relationships for sure. I love that mindset that there's no competition when it comes to a crisis. I think that's fantastic, especially when things get really big, like the things that you guys often have to deal with. That makes total sense. Well, uh, an area of crisis prep we haven't covered yet in too much detail, but is near and dear to my heart is communication. So how do you keep your very large, very mobile workforce feeling safe, informed and connected during these different crises that occur? And not just during the crises, but also day to day. So as I mentioned earlier, our notification system has helped us so much to reach out to our workforce during a crisis. Take this week, for example, we saw what's happening down in D.C. and all the protests. We immediately were able to blast an alert out and check in on everyone. Are you okay? Do you need assistance? Get the leadership engaged, making them aware that they have um, team members that live in that area and could be impacted. And so... Um, our corp comms team is also fantastic because the minute we send an alert out, they're blasting it on their channels to say, hey, make sure you respond to the alert if you've received it. Um, and that helps us really streamline getting to the folks that might need assistance. Uh, we also will do recaps with emails. So we have a daily newsletter that goes out and we'll highlight there as well if, if there's a crisis happening um, to ensure that our crew members can reach out if they need assistance. How do people feel about that from an employee standpoint? Do they do they like that communication? Like, what's what are some of the responses you get? Yeah, we love it. I mean, a lot of times they'll t- text us back and say, "Thanks for checking on me," or uh, "You guys are great." You know, so everyone loves it, and um, the best is the folks that maybe didn't get it and were like, "Go check your profile. Your number's not there." Uh, <laughs> so, like, yes. you know, so uh, but they're like, "I want to receive those too." So it's been we've had a huge response. Um, a positive response to us sending um, alerts out. And we also do a lot of proactive measures, especially during storms. If we see a storm is coming through an area, we will push like, please, we see that your numbers are not in the system. You won't, you know, you may not receive the alert or the text, you'll get the email, but, and folks will increase their count and participate right away and make sure that their profiles are updated. So we've had a real positive response. That's great. Yeah. I think in, in today's age, it seems like people want to be updated about things 24 by 7 by 365. It's just kind of the nature of how things are with social media and you got the smartphone in your pocket next to you 24 by 7 by 365. So for a, an organization being able to communicate with their people on a moment's notice, it makes a big difference. Um, once your employees are informed of, let's say, an emergency plan, how do you ensure they remain really well-versed in crisis response, such as like what they're supposed to do, even though they might not need to use a particular plan for months or even years after they were originally introduced to it? Yeah, so we do conduct quarterly tabletops uh, with surprise scenarios for our crisis management team. So that's typically the directors and above of all the different teams. Um, we also will engage in company-wide exercise. Like we've one year we did the great shake shakeout where we had, um, you know, everyone do earthquake preparedness. And even though we would think, Oh, well, why the East coast? Well, guess what? We've had them too. So yeah. we did it, you know, nationwide and, um, did a little contest where we had, uh, take a picture of your leader 
under their desk, you know, <laughs> and gave that. out some prizes. So it was fun. Um, but we are constantly promoting. I mean, I feel like crisis preparedness is part of our DNA, whether it's preparedness month, whether there is a crisis happening like right now with DC and us communicating, it's part of the DNA and those plans that we have built to respond to civil unrest or, or whatever the case may be are tested. They are brought out. They are updated. You know, you, you can't let them sitting collecting dust. So um, having a program that's active is really important. Yeah. Um, practice is clearly going to make, not for perfect, but for much better outcomes if something does happen. What are some other best practices you have for engaging the workforce and just pushing out that overall culture of, of preparation and acceptance for, you know, just taking responsibility for disasters and things like that across the organization? Yeah, we do have several programs that our crew members can engage in um, to, to be more active with crisis response. So we have a Red Cross program with um, over 300 of our JetBlue crew members who are trained as Red Cross volunteers. Mm-hmm. If we deploy them, they are paid. Um, and we will send them out for two-week deployment, sometimes three weeks, and go work in a shelter anywhere across America. And that's partnered with New York City Red Cross. Um, and that, again, just brings that skill set back to us in case, you know, we have a crisis um, and need them. We also have our care team program, which is built for emergency response, so for the plane crash program. However, we use it all the time. We've used it for the hurricanes and other crisis that happens. And in that program, we have over 1,500 care team members trained. Um, And they attend a two-day course. It teaches them what we call the head and the heart, learning, like, you know, what do you need to know? What are the facts? and the plan and the checklist. And then how do you communicate to somebody in crisis um, and help them? And then once the team is activated or deployed, we spotlight them and their story and get it out there. And so as a result, we have a wait list for folks to get into our programs. Um, Yeah, so it's been really positive and a lot of folks are um, so proud to be part of these programs and we couldn't do it without them. Man, you've really set the standard high here. <laughs> I think a lot of <laughs> listeners are going to say, whoa, <laughs> we got some work to do. That's fantastic. I mean, it, it sounds like the only way you really get that is by having complete buy-in from the senior executives. Yeah, 100%. Up from the board. I mean, you know, yeah. I, I present to the board quarterly, so they, uh, everyone's engaged. Yeah, makes a big, uh, big, big difference. Um, in your opinion, what are some of the tools and resources that every organization should have at their disposal just to get ahead of crises as much as possible and create a strong infrastructure that allows them to respond much more quickly when emergencies strike? So the first thing I would say is resources. So you need people, right? You need someone who's going to be dedicated to this, who's passionate about it. I mean, if you take someone out of a different organization and stick them in and say, now you're doing this and they don't care as, you know, as much as someone who's passionate about crisis, um, it'll show in in the program and having engaged leaders. I think that's a common theme across um, today. Um, We also need tools that will, you know, I'll say the tools that are minimum and then the tools that are bonus, but you have to have a notification system. I mean, you can't be trying to text and call everyone, you know, the notification system definitely helps us make response easier um, obviously, you know, cell phones, everyone has them nowadays. That's critical to us being successful with engaging our workforce. We also have secured satellite phones too for our island destinations because the phone system will go out after a storm. So being able to communicate with them that way. Um, some bonus tools that I would say um, would be, you know, BC planning tool, uh, 
an incident management dashboard tool, and then a volunteer activation response tool, which are, are ones that we do um, have within JetBlue that help us be really effective. I like the way that you you stage those there because I think a lot of times people often get it wrong. They think about, let me do all of my planning and um, in advance, and I'll worry about a communication system later. But in my opinion, if you don't have good plans in place, then communication becomes even more important because nothing ever goes to plan, <laughs> right? And if you don't have plans, even worse, you have to be able to quickly communicate the information about what's going on, get responses back from your audience, and then course correct uh, as that information continues to flow. And communication is so vital. Well, and we say, you know, we can write these crisis plans, but there's going to be a crisis that happens that there is no plan for, you know, like a 9-11. Like we just were not, no one thought that far, you know? And so, so the key is having that infrastructure ready to go, you know, having a crisis organization, having people dedicated to work on this stuff and, and testing and activating is important, but also to your point, being able to communicate the messaging out. Yeah. The practicing helps you. It's like the muscle memory. It's never going to happen like you planned exactly. It could be way off. It could be pretty close. But just the going through the motions gets you to be no, like it gets you away from the deer in the headlight uh, response, right? You get in there like, okay, okay, we got this. We, we've got 50 different plans. This is kind of like plan number six. <laughs> you have something yeah. to go off of so you're not freaking out. Um, but then the communication is so critical. Yeah. 100%. Yep. Yep. Well, I want to close by asking just one more question. We like to give our audience something they can take with them immediately and go make an impact on their organization. So what do you think something the audience could take away from you, some action they can take today to help improve their company's safety culture? So what I would say is that, you know, business continuity or crisis planning sometimes is seen as a project, right? You go in, you do it, you build it, check in the box, everyone's happy. But it really needs to be a program. It needs to be something that is maintained. It needs to be something that's taken out. It's tested. It's updated. It's activated when things happen. And having you know a dedicated team, tools ready to go to be able to activate when a crisis happens is really a key to success. I just think it's imperative. I love that. I mean, DRBC is a program, not a project. It's got to be in your DNA. That, that makes total sense. Excellent. Well, fantastic, excuse me, fantastic conversation. Uh, really appreciate all the expertise you've been able to offer and the advice on improving safety culture. Um, if anyone listening has follow-up questions or just wants to connect with you, what's the best way them, for them to find you out there? Sure. Um, they can email me at penny.neferis at jetblue.com. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks again for taking the time to join us on the Employee Safety Podcast. And to the rest of you out there, remember, nothing ever goes 100% according to plan in an emergency. So communication is incredibly important, as we talked about during the session. If you can't communicate, you can't recover. Until next time. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information.
You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.